Now, when you find Job chapter 1, um, go ahead and mark chapter 19. We'll flip over to chapter 19 and look at a few verses there during our study. It's going to be a, a little bit different because we're... I'm not going to read the passage and then preach on the passage. I'm going to read the passage while I'm preaching on the passage. Uh, so it'll be a little bit different of how what you're used to. But what we'll do is uh, we'll, we'll read a, a passage of Job 1 and then we'll make some observations and then we'll keep moving through until we have finished Job 1 together this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get right into today's message. Father, with all of our hearts, we do say to God be the glory. We are pulling our attention, focusing our attention to Job chapter 1 because of what's going on around us today in our world. Very troubling times, upsetting times. And yet we still say as your people, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. No matter what happens, Lord, around us, no matter what happens to us, there are some great eternal, central, never-changing truths concerning you and concerning how you govern the world that you've created. And therefore, we as believers can draw comfort and we can draw strength in whatever days we find ourselves in. We are thankful for that, and we are thankful for the words here in Job 1 that will this day encourage us and strengthen our faith and prepare us, Lord, for what lies ahead. So we love you, we praise you, we thank you, Father, for all of the blessings that you constantly give us, all of the grace that is moment by moment evident in our lives. We give you glory for the hope that we have in Christ, for the hope that we have for eternity and everlasting life, and the hope that we have for this day and for tomorrow. Truly, truly, truly we say, to God be the glory. So help us, Father. Help us this day as we look to your word. Strengthen us, feed us, encourage us, convict us, shape us. Fill us, Lord, that we might be pleasing to you, that we might live out the faith in which we hold dear. We're going to give you the praise and the glory in Christ's name. Amen. Keeping the faith in a crisis. Keeping the faith in a crisis. So I'm, I'm preaching this, this message today. It's, it's no, shouldn't be any surprise to anyone why the title is what it is and, and why we are where we are today in Job 1. We, we have experienced in, in very recent days and weeks what feels much like a crisis, both in 
our community and in our culture at, at large. In our community, we, we have experienced a dramatic spike in COVID cases. The virus has now impacted our church family in a variety of ways, some just frustrating, some troubling, and some tragic. We know hospitals are at capacity. It seems like a crisis in the moment. And our culture, our culture seems to be at a critical point. We all know the events of this past week. When you combine a, a, a cancel culture with, with the violence of a, of a mob mentality, it, it only leads to chaos and further division. We just keep growing more and more divided. We are quickly headed towards a very critical cultural climate. Therefore, all around us, in our community, in our culture at large, there's a lot of panic, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of worry, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of blaming, there's a lot, a lot of broad sweeping accusations floating around from all sides, people are frustrated and people are worried, which that's what happens when you're in a crisis. It's therefore absolutely essential that we as believers look to the Word of God for our direction, for our understanding, to know how, how do we live, how do we believe, how do we respond, how do we keep the faith during a crisis. We simply cannot face the issues of our day with panic, with fear, with anger. We believe, we believe, as believers, we believe that we live in a world governed by a sovereign God. And He is merciful and He is just. And so panic and, and fear and anger are not our responses. So how do we keep the faith during a crisis? How do we respond? For the first point, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. We must be prepared to face the crisis. Verses 1 through 5, Job chapter one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and, and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them, and 
When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and, and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Job was one of the wealthiest men in all of the Bible. Thousands of livestock, very many servants. He was the billionaire, truly, of his day. The Bible says so that this man, right here, was the greatest of all the people of the East. But it wasn't his wealth that prepared him for his crisis. In fact, all of his wealth would be of no assistance to him whatsoever in the crisis that he is about to face. And if you're familiar with the story, we're going to read it in just a few minutes. But if you are familiar, you already know he loses all of his wealth. Fortune will fail you in a crisis. Money and possessions simply will not suffice when your world turns upside down. Wealth doesn't have the answer that we need. Secondly, Job was a blessed man. Job had ten children. The Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. He was a very blessed man. But take note, the, the material, temporal blessings of God, even the greatest blessings of God, like children, will not carry you through a crisis. That's not their purpose. Blessings are given that we might bless others. Blessings are given that we might bless God and, and praise God. They are not given to sustain us in difficult times. They are given that we might be outward giving and upward praising. They, they are given to remind us how good God is and how merciful he is in spite of how undeserving we are. Job's blessings didn't prepare him for this crisis. If you know the story, he loses them too. So what did prepare Job for the crisis that he endured? So much so that if you look with me at verse 22, the last verse of chapter 1, what prepared Job for the suffering, I'm calling it crisis, but the suffering that he was getting ready to endure so much so that he could come out on the other end of that suffering and the Bible would record this of him. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So what prepared him? Because if you're not familiar with the story, what he's getting ready to walk through is unimaginable suffering. It, 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 it makes you choke to try to put yourself in his shoes in just a few minutes. What prepared him? Well, verse 1, he walked with God. That's what solidified him. He walked with God. The Bible says he was, he was blameless. That, that describes his reputation. 
In other words, no one could find fault with him, moral fault with him, how he treated people, how he conducted his business and his affairs, and he was blameless. The Bible says he was upright. In other words, he he did what was right. He acted rightly. He lived rightly. He he didn't undermine others or or cheat or lie or or mistreat. His his character was of an honorable nature. He had integrity. He he was a man of his word. He he, he was generous. He was good-hearted. He was upright. The Bible says he feared God. What does that mean? In other words, he lived his life in order to please the Lord. The last thing that he wanted to do was displease the Lord. He feared the Lord. He he lived his life to honor and and glorify the Lord. He turned away from evil. That's that's kind of the the other side of the same coin of being upright, right? He he acted rightly. He did what was right. He avoided what was wrong. He, He resisted evil. He turned from wickedness. Job was prepared to do an un, uh, prepared to endure an unbelievable crisis because he walked day by day closely with the Lord. In his heart, he he honored the Lord. In his reputation, he was exemplary. No one could lay a fault to him. He was blameless. In other words, he loved God, and he loved others. He treated others as he himself would want to be treated. Which leads us to our first question of self-examination this morning. Are we ready for a crisis? Are we prepared to endure and walk through a crisis moment, a time of suffering? Are we walking with God? Now, by extension, in these verses, Job's Job's walk with God was demonstrated in that his first and foremost concern for his children was their relation to God, wasn't it? When, When the Bible brings up Job's children, it immediately goes to Job's concern for them and how they were relating their relation to God. Job wasn't concerned with with whether or not they would live a a luxurious life, if if he would have enough to leave them so that they would live as comfortably as as he's lived. That didn't occupy his thoughts. He he, he wasn't doing everything that he could to make sure that that they make it big in this world, that that they succeed, that they make a name for themselves. He, He was concerned that they were right with God. When their time came, they would be right with God. The Bible says, in the last part of verse 5, thus Job did continually. As parents, we have a second question of self-examination, don't we? What is our first and foremost concern for our children? To what do we give the most energy and time and resources and concern? What are we continually doing? Thus Job did continually. What is it that we are continually doing on their behalf? Job was prepared for crisis. Are we? The second thing we see in verses 6 through 12 
that the Bible reminds us here to not forget the spiritual realm. So we see an earthly picture of of the status of Job, and then we turn to a a, a spiritual scene, a a heavenly scene, in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And by the way, the New Testament reminds us that's, that's still his daily routine. He, he's a, a, a roaring lion roaming about to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. In other words, the assessment that we read of Job earlier, that was God's assessment of Job. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to his face. In other words, Satan said, the only reason Job likes you is because you've given him all this stuff. Take it away and see how much Job likes you then. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. In our crisis, whatever it may be, don't forget the spiritual realm. As readers of the book of Job, we are privy to this cosmic conversation. But the man Job, remember, the man Job in real time living out his life has no idea this conversation has taken place. Don't forget the spiritual realm. Job does not know there is a great cosmic contest that is playing out in real time in his own life. And the question on the table is this, God, are you really enough? That's where Satan is is pushing. Are Are you really sufficient? Are you really all satisfying? God, are you enough? Or is that just what you say about yourself? If you strip everything away from Job, will you still be enough for him? Job has no idea in his suffering and pain that he is instrumentally going to be forever a testimony to the world that no matter what crisis you face or suffering or loss that you endure God is enough 
We are in the same situation as Job, by the way. The spiritual realm overlaps the natural realm that we live in, but it is invisible to us. The Bible says the things that are seen are temporary. This is temporary. This is temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. It's the things that are unseen that we have to be reminded of that that are still there even though we don't see them. However, for us as believers, this is one of the reasons why the Word of God is so instrumental, so essential, so valuable to us as believers. Why we want to be people of the Word every, every day, every year. is because in the Bible, God often pulls back the curtain for us. He pulls back the curtain and gives us a glimpse into the spiritual realm. We get to see what is unseen. We get to hear what has not been heard when we get into the Word. And this is what has exactly happened, happening for us in verses 6 through 12. God has showed us in verse 1 through 5, this is what's going on on the earth. Now let me show you what went on in the heavens. And we peer into what is unseen and and what is unknown. And when we do that, there are tremendous lessons here for us that now we can take in our own lives when we are facing a crisis, when we are enduring suffering. When it comes our time to hit verse 13, we can take verses 6 through 12, the lessons of those verses, with us. Here's three. Here's at least three lessons we see in these seven verses. Number one, we must remember as the narrative of our crisis unfolds before us, there is a higher narrative taking of our crisis taking place and God is its chief architect what do you mean by that God is in control even in a crisis verses 6 through 12 take place before verse 13 begins God is in control control even in the middle of horrendous suffering even when it seems God is nowhere to be found even when it feels as though God has forgotten us or forsaken us he has not there is a higher greater plan unfolding one which we don't see but one which is there nonetheless and is actually even more real and more lasting than what we do see for everything that we see is temporary So when we react based solely, and this is easy to do, and we all do it, myself included, 
when we react based solely on what we see and forget about what is unseen, we will often, listen carefully, we will often respond to God with doubt and with anger. Forgetting, forgetting that somehow God is still working everything to his glory and our good. If we only look at what is seen in the middle of our crisis and forget what is unseen, that's what will happen. So we must remember God is in control. Second, because God is in control and therefore there is a higher plan beyond what we see being carried out in fullness, we can rest assured that nothing occurs in this life that has not passed through the permissive hand of God. Nothing happens in this life as victorious as it may be or as heart-wrenching as it may be if God is in control and he is if there is a higher plan for his glory and our good and there is then we can rest assured that nothing occurs in this life that has not passed through the permissive hand of God COVID is not out of God's control what causes Job's crisis then in the following verses well we could say there are three causes we could we could say this about just about anything we could say there's there's a direct cause and the direct cause when we read these verses we're going to see the direct cause is murderers thieves and a strong wind so there is responsibility there is accountability there is a direct cause in job's crisis in job's case due to the actions of evil people and and the force of a great wind job experiences tremendous suffering these people are responsible for what they have done and and the collapse of this house is explained by the force of a great wind there are direct causes that can be seen and can be addressed but then there's also the indirect cause of Satan himself. It is he who puts it into the minds of these evil people. These are these fiery darts of the evil one. He puts it into these minds of these evil people to act out their evil. And because they are evil, they are quick to acquiesce to his suggestions. That's what the flesh does. It loves to sin. It's suggested to go sin. So it acquiesces to that suggestion because that's what it loves. They are quick to acquiesce to Satan's ploys. Satan is also called in Scripture, remember, the prince of the power of the air. So he, he ushers this great wind to, to whirl down on this house. Now, why am I bringing all this up besides the fact that it's in the text? We need to be reminded 
of this, especially in our day when division on very critical moral issues. And when I say moral issues, I mean they are biblical issues. I mean they are eternal issues. We need to be reminded in our day of division on these issues that division has never been greater. We've never been further apart. As believers, we may debate and disagree, but we do not hate or resort to violence. The Bible calls us to love and to pray for and to seek to win to Christ those who disagree with us, even those who may despise us. Remember, Ephesians says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our calling is not to hold a revolution. Our, our calling is not to win election. Our calling is to win souls. We are to win the souls of men, women, and children to the Lord. People are perishing. physically perishing from a virus and spiritually perishing from deception and delusion. What we see take place in our nation is ab the absolutely unfolding of the insanity of sin and deception and darkness. Would you not agree with me when you, when you close a prayer with a man and a woman? We have reached the point of insanity because that wasn't a joke. We made a joke of it. There's a lot of jokes on social media about it. But he wasn't joking. People are perishing. The hymn says it best, right? Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Are we not living there? Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. Well, there's two causes, but there's a third cause. Let us be mindful that above the direct causes of the natural realm and the indirect causes of the spiritual realm at times there is the sovereign permissive will of the Lord nothing happens outside of God's sovereign hand now listen to me very carefully especially if you know what Job's getting ready to endure As difficult a pill as that is to swallow at times when you are in the middle of a crisis and when you are in the middle of unimaginable, unspeakable suffering, as difficult of a pill as that is to swallow, that nothing happens outside of God's sovereign hand. Listen to me very carefully. 
you would not want to live in a world where God is not in control. That's the only other option. This is really the best of all possible worlds in a sinful world. The third lesson for us in these passages to remember what is unseen, don't forget the spiritual realm. The third lesson is that God has Satan on a leash and he can't move one inch beyond where God allows him to move. You see what the Lord told him? Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him do not stretch out your hand. And that's exactly what Satan did. Nothing less, but certainly nothing more. Satan is under God's sovereign domain. Third thing, we see this in verses 13 through 19, every crisis is difficult, but every crisis is not the same. Maybe that should be and every crisis is not the same. Beginning in verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, by, by this time you're almost at the point of exhaustion, right? You, this is the breaking point. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead." And I alone have escaped to tell you. Unimaginable suffering and loss absolutely will grip will grip your heart, render you speechless cause you to faint your knees to buckle of what happened to Job in a matter of minutes the Bible is clear while he was yet speaking another while he was still speaking another it was just boom 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 every crisis is difficult and every crisis is, is not the same and and I'm going to be brief on this section. We're going to hit the conclusion here in just a few minutes. But I just want to make a few statements about this 
unbelievable suffering in the book of Job. And, and it's not over. If you've read Job, you know his suffering's not over. It's actually, there's, there's going to be more. COVID has caused great suffering. And that's, we're not through it yet. It's not over yet. The downward moral trend of our culture will inevitably, inevitably produce suffering. Sin always hurts. There's going to be suffering for those caught up in the deception. There's going to be suffering for those who stand against it. A crisis is a crisis, especially when you are in the middle of it. But at the same time, when you read Job's suffering, it kind of awakens you and helps us put things in perspective, doesn't it? We always have reason to hope. We always have reason to rejoice. We always have reason to be thankful. Those who have gone before us, especially in the faith, those who have gone before us have endured much worse, much worse. And many of our brothers and sisters around the world today endure unspeakable horrors. I just received a notice yesterday of just recently in the past few weeks, there's been seven Christians murdered in India simply because they were Christians. We have not lost everything yet, as Job did. In chapter 2, he loses even more. He loses his health, soars from head to toe. He loses the support of his wife. His wife tells him, curse God and die. Get it over with. You're too, you're too miserable. It's too much. Eventually, his own friends, the, the last people that he has... They come, they sit with him, and eventually they heap condemnation on him rather than comfort. As bad as it seems where we are and where we may be headed in our time of crisis, God is still merciful. And it could be worse. We can always at least be thankful for the restraining hand of God. He does not allow evil to run amok and unchecked. He is in control. Fourth, verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. Isn't that something? And he said, Naked I, I came from my mother's womb, and, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. After he endures the suffering of chapter 2, the Bible concludes with this, In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So how do we keep the faith in a crisis? Worship the God who is sovereign and trust that he is working all things for his glory and our good.
So what did Job do when he lost everything in a matter of minutes and had, he had no idea, he had no idea that God was at work doing something beyond his imagination. He wasn't privy to verses 6 through 12. So what did he do when verses 13 through 19 landed on him? Well, first he did what any of us would do. He grieved with overwhelming heartache. That's what all of this expression is. He, he tore his robes, showing how his heart was being torn apart. He, he shaved his head. He fell on the ground. He lost his standing. First, he grieved. Second, he worshiped. He worshiped. How do we keep the faith in a crisis? He worshipped. He worshipped the sovereignty of God. He, he recognized that everything that he had came from the hand of God. It was God's to give and it was God's to take. It was God's. So he worshipped the sovereignty of God. The, the, the largeness, the, the bigness, the grandeur, the almightiness of the Lord. But he also trusted, didn't he? He said the Lord gives and, and the Lord takes away. But he also trusted. He trusted that God was not being neglectful. God was not being intentionally harmful towards him. He said, blessed be the name of the Lord. So in fact, Job believed that what he could not yet see was true, more true now than ever. Let's look to Job 19. And we get an insight, just like in chapter 1, we get an insight into the heavens in chapter 19, we get an insight into the heart, into the faith of Job. Job 19, beginning in verse 25. Here's where his faith anchored him and kept him steadfast. For I know, you hear that language, I know? For I know that my Redeemer, you hear that, Redeemer? I know that my Redeemer lives. He, he's not He's not checked out he lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been thus destroyed yet in my flesh I shall see God Job believed in eternal salvation whom I shall see for myself, individual salvation, and my eyes shall behold glorification and not another. My heart faints within me. He worshiped the sovereignty of God and he trusted in the goodness of God and the hope of God and the glory of God. So in our own crisis, we may be brought to tears and we may grieve. But we can survive and we can endure 
any crisis and suffering in this life if we will worship and trust. Prepare and then worship and trust. Let, let me conclude with, with, with this thought. For all of Job's questions, and, and Job has a lot of questions, and when we suffer, we have a lot of questions. And when we're in a crisis, we have a lot of questions. I've had people text me and, and message me and ask me and everything else, why is God letting this happen? We, we have all kinds of, of questions. Job had all kinds of questions, and, and Job had doubt, and, and Job had suffering, and, and Job had, had loss. And, and for all of Job's questions, in the end, did you know this? If you've read through Job, God doesn't answer Job's questions. God doesn't explain why to Job. The, the end of the book of Job is not verses 6 through 12. God saying, well, this is what was going on. God doesn't do any of that. What God does is actually better than answering Job's questions. What God does is reveal more of himself to Job. Listen to this carefully, church. What God does in those last few chapters of Job is he, he reveals his greatness and his glory to Job even more. Job sees even more of God. And once Job sees even more of the greatness and glory of God, you know what his conclusion is? Job says, I, I, I'm going to be quiet now with his questions. Job's conclusion is, God, now that I have seen you, you are enough. I don't need the answers. If I have you, he is enough. So let us pray that through the crisis today in our community and this day in our culture we don't need answers God why are you doing this we just need more of God so may God reveal himself and show himself and display himself more and more of his greatness and his glory so that we too as his people may testify with Job God is enough. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.